0: The Developers Who Test podcast, a podcast for developers who embrace test automation so that they can ship better quality software and have more fun doing it. Today's episode of the Developers Who Test podcast is brought to you by testry.com. Whether you're a developer who has just a handful of tests or even thousands, then your tests deserve to be running on the fastest and most reliable platform for open source testing. With AI-driven insights and analytics, unparalleled parallelism, and awesome integrations, Testry enables you to get more from your tests. Check us out today at testry.com. We're speaking today with Steve Upton. Steve Upton is a principal QA consultant for ThoughtWorks, a well-known global consultancy that drives digital innovation. He's located in Berlin, but travels the world helping teams improve quality. Uh, Welcome to the Developers Who Test podcast, Steve. Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to be here. Cool. Yeah, thanks for being here. So I'd love to start with uh, how you got started in software testing and how you became a QA consultant. Can you share a little bit of that journey? Sure. So I, uh, I studied um, computer science at university.
1: Um, I didn't really have any particular plan for what to do after that. Uh, and my first job outside of, uh, outside of university is I joined the, the IBM graduate scheme. And the way that works is once you sort of got accepted, they kind of put you in a random job in IBM and I sort of assumed I'd end up in some sort of development job. Uh, But my first job was actually um, some sort of tester, I forget the exact job title, like a systems tester or or integration tester or something. Um, So the answer to the question, how did I get into testing is entirely by accident. Um, Didn't really intend it and Mm. and kind of looking back on it, I think that was was a really important step because in my university career, I had almost no education on testing. I think in in three years at university, I had maybe one kind of half assed lecture on testing mm-hmm. and what it means. Um, so I so I had kind of kinda had to hit the ground running. I had some really good mentors along the way, and that was that was kind of how I started getting into that uh, into that space at least.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I- You know, I ask that question all the time of how do people get into quality and testing? Uh, And so many of us come from, uh, you know, different parts of the software development lifecycle. And it's just like the need to do software testing comes up and then they're looking around and saying, like, who's the best person to do it or who do we have available? Uh, And so that's how a lot of us get started. But then once we get into it, we really learn the complexities of what testing really means and how interesting of a path it, it can really be, uh, so it's interesting to hear that that you know for you it was a totally a random decision uh, that <laughs> that just fell into your lap, but then turned out to be such a wonderful opportunity for you.
1: Yeah, I did. I did find it to be, I think, a lot more interesting than I thought because my 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 sort of conception of testing um, on like, I guess day day one of that job with almost no I guess theoretical background no. No context was that. Um, uh, the developers write the code. The testers do the testing, and one of them wins. Right? If you find a bug, the tester wins. If you, if you know, no bugs are found, the developer wins. <clears throat> and it was, I think, it was the book Agile Testing by Lisa Crispin and Janet Gregory, and this, in particular, this um, uh, what they call the Agile Testing Quadrants. Um, mm-hmm. Where they kind of look at the the roles of different types of tests. How different tests can be focused on a more um, technical level. Some can be focused on more business um, um, business requirements. Some are about critiquing the product, and some are about supporting the team. And when you start to sort of understand that, you understand you you start to get kind of a window into that complexity and the depth of it. And it's not just tests are things we do at the end of the process to make sure things work. It's, it's, there's, there's more to it than that. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think that always, always kind of intrigued me once I learned about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you highlighted a, a good question there. Uh, and that's that you know, there are multiple kinds of tests and multiple people who write tests, uh, who do you think should be writing which kind of tests and when in the software development process?
1: I don't particularly care who writes it um as long as someone does um I'm I mean I think it's I think it's quite easy to say okay if you have the term tester in your job title or a QA of some sort then you then you take responsibility for a particular type of tests right say say end to end tests that that's the realm of the testers right um but for me I think uh, what I see the role of a, uh, of, a, of a of a tester, and certainly what I see my role as a as, as now a QA consultant as, is supporting people in supporting the whole team in testing, right? My my ideal team, all of the testing that needs to be done is easy, right? You've got the you've got the frameworks in place. You can get fast feedback. It's easy to write the test. It's easy when tests fail. You get fast feedback that helps you helps you figure out what went wrong and, and helps you debug it. Anyone should be able to write a test incredibly easily, and if that's not the case, for whatever reason, whether it's lacking tooling, lacking frameworks, or lacking skills, that's where I would see the responsibility uh, of a QA. Mm. Um, I see the yeah the responsibility of a QA is to make that question that you just asked, who should write the tests, entirely meaningless, because everyone mm. can write the tests now, or everyone with, let's say, some, you know, reasonable baseline of, like, technical skills.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. Uh, what do you think are the the biggest obstacles to prevent teams from being in that sweet spot where anyone can participate in testing?
1: I mean, sometimes it is just skills and interest. Um, there is a, a traditional, what I would call kind of a traditional um, uh, uh, sort of thought that's, you know, again, developers write the product code. Testers write the test automation code, <clears throat> and that that idea, that meme, can 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 I think hold teams back, right? A developer looks at a, oh, well, that has slash test in it, so that's not my realm, right? That that's owned by someone else. That's owned by the testers. It's a the, it, it's a simple thing, but it's a mental block that does I think stand in the way sometimes. Um, so just that mindset and. Uh, I think there's critic, valid criticism saying, like, oh, you know, mindset as a as a um, as an excuse is kind of a bad one. But there's also skills. Like, there there is a huge amount of um, expertise that you can apply in the testing space. How do you structure good testing suites? How do you write them so that you get good feedback? That you get fast feedback? That they're not flaky. Um, all of these things are, are, are really important skills that you can spend an entire career developing and not everyone Mm -hmm. has developed those those skills. They focused in different areas. And that's where, again, I think that pairing between maybe, uh, someone who perhaps does bias towards, um, development or they have that sort of job title. Um, I'm not really one for, um, job titles and focusing too much on those, but, um, that's where that pairing of different, different experts and different different pe- people with different backgrounds mm-hmm. can be really helpful, help build those skills. Uh, otherwise, another thing that can hold people back is just that sometimes it's just like, hey, look, there's, no one has set this framework up yet, right? No one has mm-hmm. done the, the legwork they put in the boilerplate. They wired all these things together so that I can, you know, every time I push a commit, I get useful feedback. Mm-hmm. If, that, if that really baseline stuff isn't there, then the, why would someone write tests?
0: Yeah, I can't count the number of times that I've seen an organization just kind of haphazardly say, uh, "Okay, we want developers to do testing now, but we want you to keep up on feature development uh, and just have everything ready to go, right?" And then so yeah. there becomes this project of how do we get the testing frameworks in place? How do we set up CI/CD to do testing? And and uh, and, and no one's given the time to actually get that in place uh do you see that that same thing happen in the organizations you work with
1: yeah yeah very much so i think i think one of one of my big frustrations with the um i think the industry software industry as a whole is that we we talk there's a lot of ideas like a shared responsibility for quality and testing um shared responsibility for security um all of these these things sound lovely and i agree that you should do them but then sometimes we just say like like organizations will hear that buzzword hear that hear that phrase in a conference and they'll just say well okay do that with, without mm-hmm. actually supporting people on that journey um, and that's really where I again where where I kind of see my job is you know very often I've joined teams that like they know they should have a shared responsibility for quality they just can't they just don't know how to do that they're lacking the tooling but the the the, the the skills, the experience, the understanding to do that, my job is to help them get there. My job is Mm -hmm. to help them go from, well, that's a lovely soundbite to, oh, we can do this now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I hear the, the shared responsibility thing uh, you know, absolutely. Once you have it in place, that's wonderful, but it it reminds me of um, uh, what do they call that? It's like the, the uh, bystander paradox or something like that, where it's it's like somebody gets injured on the street and everybody has a responsibility to help that person. But because everybody thinks everybody has that responsibility, they all just walk past the person. Right. And I feel like sometimes we do that on our software teams. You know, we all know that we should be finding bugs. We all know that we should be fixing bugs, but if we feel like it's everyone's job, but not necessarily my job, uh, it can be easy to, to pass that up. Um, do you think getting past that is uh you know obviously a tools thing and a skills thing um but is a certain amount of it leadership needing to drive culture
1: um, I'm skeptical of of
0: of culture as a solution here right I think that we
1: <clears throat> we often kind of throw out a Oh, we see a problem. It's a culture thing, right? there, there isn't a culture of doing X, Y, Z, right? And it, it, it's very often, I think, a way of of blaming people without saying you're blaming people, right? Because culture mm. is, 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 you know, is the first derivative of people, right? The first or the second derivative of people and come what, what what they're actually doing. Um. So, it, so it's very often a roundabout way of blaming people, but it's also not particularly actionable right? Like mm. if you're in a, if you're in a team that um, <clears throat> that does struggle to take responsibility for something or they're experiencing this bystander effect, right? As you say, if it's everyone's responsibility, it's no one's responsibility. If you find yourself in that situation saying culture, like have, have you considered making your culture better is, is, well, that might sound lovely, but like, okay, Practically speaking, what do I do? Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, I think there's there's a lot of quite basic, um, you know, t- project and team management tools that can help here. There's things like um, racy matrix, uh, matrices, right? The, like these aren't advanced mm-hmm. techniques. These are, these are um, the tools and techniques that have existed for decades, decades and decades, just saying mm-hmm. like, okay, look, we do have a shared responsibility for this. Anyone can write a test we all should write tests but hey like this person here or these or this set of people they are the 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 points of contact they are mm-hmm. the people who are responsible for this and making sure this um gets done or saying that just writing down your 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 part of production right saying like hey look our ways of working mean that whenever you put a story into into in progress. Your responsibility is to write tests. That's not someone else's responsibility. Sometimes just, again, really basic project and team management stuff like writing down responsibilities can be uh, can go a long way. And I think it's much more useful than just saying culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So for our audience, uh, anyone who's not familiar with the racy matrix, uh, that's the one where you go through and you talk about the roles and then you say who is responsible, who's accountable. I think it's uh, consulted and informed.
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're, you're going through each role and each activity and then you're kind of creating a matrix that says, here's the activities that are associated with the roles and this is what kind of role uh, each person has. Um, so the, you know, so we, if we address the tools and we address the, the culture, Oh, uh, actually, yeah, I think that was something that was really interesting that came up there is the, um, uh, I, I love how you said that, you know, just saying that it's culture is blaming people without blaming people and also not coming up with an actionable item. Uh, root cause analyses are a big part of what we do. You know, a production issue happens. <clears throat> most teams do some kind of postmortem or uh, root cause analysis. So uh, now they're doing uh blameless postmortems where they intentionally try not to blame people while still blaming people. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think uh, another one I see all the time um, that's similar to culture is communication. Uh, you know, how many times do we just say, Oh, well, it was bad communication. And then we leave it at that. Um, how do you think we can come up with more actionable items if we're doing a root cause analysis after a production incident.
1: So I, I mentor a couple of, um, um, engineers, uh, people with various job titles, uh, I'll just, will just say engineers as a sort of, you know, casual term for people, people writing with uh, people who write code or work nearby code. And I think particularly on the, on the more junior, end, I, I sometimes get this sense of frustration. That they they say, I like I see a problem here, right? I feel frustrated by this thing over there. Um and the way I always try and frame it to them is like, okay, finish that sentence, right? I am frustrated in this. Here is something we could try. And ideally, and and, and particularly if I'm if I'm coaching someone on kind of career growth and and and, and you know, like how they can how they can. You know, uh, uh, progress in their career and skills I'd say and I'm going to take ownership of this I'm going to drive this forward I'm going to adapt when things don't turn out the way I expect or um do more of this if it does work that's a, that's a really thing so 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 it's always it's always finishing the sentence and I think finishing that sentence to go from okay I'm frustrated by this thing and now here's a thing we can do that often comes from experience. That comes mm-hmm. from like, oh, I've seen, like I am frustrated by this and I have I was in a similar situation before. So uh, here's what we did last time. So I'm going to try that again. Or ideally, I think the, the the ideal, almost the perfect answer, the perfect like complete sentence there would be something like, I see this problem. I've seen this problem multiple times. Here's a set of things we could try, multiple experiments, multiple probes that we could run. I'm going to try several of these. I'm going to see which ones work. I'm going to adapt the plan based on the feedback we get. Um, like like <clears throat> To give maybe an example here, right? You you said about, okay, the, the problem is always communication, right, of course it is. Um, these people didn't know about a particular product update, a particular change to our tech stack, something that caused an issue, right? So we say, okay, um, I've seen this problem before. We're going to try an internal newsletter. We're also going to try notifying their team on Slack. We're also going to try going and talking to them and, and having a regular catch up every Monday with them. We're also going to try maybe building something into, the, into their code base and their CI system so they get notified of certain changes. We're gonna try multiple things. Some of them might work, some of them might not. Um, and again, those, those—like those, here are the things that could work. You get those from experience and there isn't really a shortcut. For that, but I think main thing is yeah, try multiple things, adapt your plan, and see what works.
0: Yeah, I love that idea of not just seeing a problem and complaining about it, but encouraging people to also provide their own suggestions for how to fix it and take ownership of it. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really easy, especially in software testing. Uh, You know, we see things like uh, elements don't have IDs or we see the same kind of bugs over and over again. Um, We have builds that produce test runs that have 20 or 30% failing tests and we spend hours reviewing them. There are a lot of things that happen on teams where it's easy to just complain about them happening and assuming that they have to happen. And I found that you know, especially junior folks on teams, when they see a problem like that, they have a lot of really good ideas of things to try. And the people who get ahead in their careers are the ones who who make the suggestions, but then also say, hey, I want to step up and I want to try setting up the CI/CD to do it this way or that way. I haven't done it before, but give me this chance to do it. And it's really hard for a manager to say no to that, right? You've got somebody on your team who says, I don't like the way things are going. There are a lot of things we can try. I want to try them. Uh, you don't sit there as a manager and say, okay, well, you came to me with all these suggestions of how to make everybody's life better, um, but we've got other things to work on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It, it Just taking that initiative, taking that ownership, That's that's... It's very often something I'm looking for from, I mean, consultants in general when I'm when I'm interviewing consultants um, or potential, you know, consultants for ThoughtWorks, um, but also just people in the team. Like, I was I was think about it this way: like, like, who do you want in your team? Like, do you want teammates who are just constantly complaining about everything? Like, there's an amount of that that's good. Like, I want a degree of frustration. I don't want people just to be like smiling and happy when things are terrible. Like, a certain amount of frustration even if things can't be fixed is 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 fine and good but the people i really want in my team are the people who see the problems and they try and fix them they try and make things better and ideally they work with other people and again this is where getting different perspectives particularly someone who's less junior um who might have like oh five ideas for how to fix the ci um pipeline and why it's flaky Maybe some of those are bad ideas, so I'd like them to talk with someone a little bit more senior and maybe say like "Hey, okay, that I know that sounds like a good idea, but it, it actually would make things much worse like Thank you for suggesting it. Let me kind of help you help you grow but these other four ideas you suggested those could work let's 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 go and make those real mm-hmm. that is, who do you want on your team? The people who just complain or the people who complain and then try and do something about it,
0: yeah." Yeah, so uh, I think a lot of uh folks who are developers who test uh you know they they tend to work for a company that does software testing uh where you know let, let's face it in a lot of companies they view testing as you know an expense and they want to keep that expense low, you know, what's the cheapest way I can ship software? Um, but something I've noticed about doing consulting in the QA space is you get to work with uh, a lot of different companies. And so now doing test automation is, uh, you know, a revenue generating activity for your company. And so um, your role within the company is is a little more, I would say, respected and interesting. Um, so I, I think a, there's an appeal for a lot of people in, in QA and testing to get involved in the consulting world uh what advice would you have for you know somebody with maybe three to five years of experience who's currently doing software testing for uh, you know a bigger company and they don't feel like what they're doing is valued as much and maybe they're looking to get into consulting uh how would you recommend they get started um
1: being open to new ideas, uh, this is a very generic thing to say, right? But but trying new things. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I always, something that jumps out at me is perhaps not a red flag, uh, but something that I would want to dig a little bit deeper into if I'm interviewing someone um, for a, for a, a consulting or a, or, a, or a QA consultant role would be what's their breadth of experience? Um, because if someone has, as you say, three to five years of experience, but it's all in one company, Do they really have the breadth of experience that they can join a different company and actually reasonably advise them? Or are they just going to go to that company and tell them to do things the way they did things in their old company? Mm -hmm. Um, There's a difference between theory and practice, and you need both, right? You need, I mean, praxis is the word, right? You need, uh, there's a quote I like, and I think this is from Dave Snowden. It's, um, um, theory without uh, practice is hollow and practice without theory doesn't scale, right? You need both, right? So read mm-hmm. the books, go and read, go and read um, continuous delivery, go and read the foundational, uh, go, go read agile testing, the foundational, you know, you know, canon books of our industry, and then go and apply them in different contexts. Fail. I, I, I would like to see you, I would hope that an experienced consultant has failed sometimes and they understand the limits of those rules, uh, that they have a more intuitive understanding of, 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 <clears throat> you know, it's not just follow these five steps, it's follow these five steps. And, you know, there's a bunch of asterisks in there. I want them to have had the the experiences and the failures that help them intuitively understand where those, where those asterisks are. And that's also kind of completely useless advice, right? Because it's just like, have you considered having more experience, right? Like, oh, uh, <laughs> how do I get better? It's like, have you considered decades of experience? Um, unfortunately, yeah, that that, that is a, a, a key thing I'd look for
0: um that that does tie in well though to the um identifying problems and stepping up to solve them situation um because even if you're still working within a single company uh you know there are people who are only api developers they've only uh, ever written api code they've never touched a database they've never touched a website they've never done a data integration job and uh I think when you have that mindset of what are the problems, what can I do to step up to do them, and can I ask for permission to go run off and try to solve these problems, uh, that gives you at least an opportunity within that company to to have a, a wider range of experience in different areas. Um, but I absolutely do agree that that also having experience across different companies is important. Um, I think in the testing world, a, a perfect example of that is, you know, we get this appro- these different approaches to testing like, uh, you know, A-B testing or blue-green deployments. Uh, we get these different ways of deploying software, uh, you know, whether we're or, or branching strategies. Are we doing trunk-based development? Are we doing Git Flow? And it's so easy to say, you know, I worked at such and such company and this is exactly how we had all these pieces set up. So at this new company, that's exactly how we have to do it. And that takes all the engineering out of the problem, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so like with, you know, with um, A-B testing, it requires that you have a lot of traffic where it's okay for some of your traffic to go down the wrong path and fail. That might not be appropriate if you're uh, in a B2B SaaS environment where the CFO is running their annual report and oh, by the way, the report broke six months ago, but no one's run it yet, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. There's uh, a there's a huge difference between <clears throat> something that that is established and running at scale, and you being that 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 first team to try something completely new. I've I've done A/B testing where we were the team that installed the the library and the framework to manage it, and I uh, the client I'm, I'm I'm working with currently um, has a bunch of uh, ex Google s r e s and we're doing um a b testing at a scale that I have never seen before and it's very different experiences let me tell mm-hmm. you
0: yeah yeah uh so it's important to match the the approach um to the company that you're working with um i th- i think that's really the essence of engineering though isn't it i mean you you have re- feature requests but you also have constraints and you're trying to identify a solution. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way
1: of of, of putting it. I, I often talk in terms of constraints. Right? Is there is a goal that we want to get to, something we want to deliver, and um, it's not typically an exact thing. There's usually flexibility as to exactly what's we're what we're um, trying to what we it's It's not that the user wants a button that is blue and twelve pixels um high and has exactly this font. they want some capability or this capability might delight them and 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 allow them to solve some problem um so there's this I often kind of kind of visualize this in my head and I need to do some more kind of writing about this, but thinking about it, it as kind of a fitness landscape, something that we're exploring right there is there is a space over there where our users will be happy. Um, and there are things in our way. There are constraints that can limit our ability to get there. Um, Budget, um, technical, technical history, skills and capabilities. Um, there are constraints that limit what paths we can we can use to get there. Something that might work perfectly for Google probably doesn't work for your tiny startup. And that's what engineering is right is 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 understanding that context, understanding the landscape, and being able to kind of navigate your way in hopefully useful direction and kind of towards ideally happy users
0: yeah so how can we help our own organizations see that a bit more um you know I feel like uh you know, the the best quality engineers are kind of the unsung heroes of the organization. They're incredibly smart people who are doing what is actually incredibly difficult work. Um, but there's this, I mean, let's face it, in the industry, there's a perception that it's a bunch of button clickers. And, you know, we'll just build the thing that needs to be built. The developers are the smart people. And then we'll have a bunch of button clickers go click a bunch of buttons. Uh, which, you know, I obviously don't think that. Uh, I think I think building the systems that test software is a harder engineering problem than putting forms on websites that write to databases. We've been doing that for decades. Um, how can we help our organization see that delivering with quality is a really complex engineering problem that requires engineers with experience?
1: I so I think there's I think
0: there's two sides to that to that question, right?
1: One is the the engineering complexity of that, and I but I would agree that 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 um, a good quality engineer uh, or whatever that job title is um, requires a huge amount of of technical depth and experience. Um, but there's also the value provided by that. Um, I could maybe speak a little bit more to that one, um, at least to start. I often use the four key metrics from um, uh, Accelerate and the, and the State of DevOps <laughs> report. These are the, um, the, the uh, DORA metrics. Yes, the DORA metrics. So, um, lead time uh, for changes. So, how often or, or how long does it take to go from, you know, laptop to production? Um, there's change frequency. So, how or, or a deployment frequency. Sorry. So, how often do you update production? Um, there is, um, change failure rate. So how many of those changes, um, uh, fail cause something that needs to be rolled back or intervened on and mean time to recover. So how often, uh, or or how, how long on average does it take to recover when something bad happens in production? Um, and I often see a lot of my work is impacting those, right? If I make, the tests a little bit faster. Uh, again, a trivial, like like a simplistic example, right? But if I make my 10 my test run 10% faster, I've shortened my uh my lead time by some by some amount of time by 10%, right? Um if I if I expand test coverage uh or make them a little bit less flaky. So they are uh so so people run more of them, and they get better feedback then I might be reducing change failure rate um and ultimately if i build a if i help build and well i dislike the term culture as you uh, uh, as you know right if i if I help the team understand that these tests are incredibly valuable and a useful and important part of their um of their development flow of their of their um workflow uh, and they invest in them and they really really take you know pay attention to the failures and the and the and the reports and the details and the data they get out of that um, that might give them more confidence and they're going to deploy more frequently right so that would raise the um uh, the deployment frequency and those are mm-hmm. um, I mean this is the, this is the insight from from Dora and uh, and accelerate is that um, those 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 metrics are highly cor- correlated with successful businesses, um, and I think a lot of what I'm doing and a lot of hopefully what um, all of all of the stuff that I tend to get involved in is about improving those, and and that I can start tying to business um, impact. It's not uh, it's it it's kind of um, I would never want to go to a to a to a CTO. I do talk to CTOs, but um, I, I, I would never go to a CTO and say, "You know, hey, I, I reduced the um, reduced the uh, uh, the CI pipeline run by ten seconds." I would, I would, I would try and relate that to something that actually matters in terms of business. And I think the four key mm-hmm. metrics can get you a little bit closer to that.
0: Do you feel like there are some metrics that are missing from the door picture? Um, you know, the, the reason I yeah. think about that is. You know the DORA metrics have obviously really taken off. They're uh, at this point, I think, scientifically proven to help measure or be leading indicators of whether or not a company is successful. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think the the total cost of failing isn't well captured, or maybe the customer experience, and so. You could have a, I think you could have a team where they're doing really well on their Dora metrics, but you could talk to the customers and the customers could say, yeah, they fix things right away. But I mean, this thing has a lot of issues with it. The experience is terrible. I wouldn't, the, the customer wouldn't say that they're shipping a high quality product. Even though the Dora metrics might, do you think there's something missing from that picture?
1: Y- yes. Uh, although I might go in a slightly different direction to what you said. So um, they, um, the, the, the sort of Dora folks, have kind of called out that reliability—that um, is, that is to say, like how available and 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 reliable is the system, separate from change uh, uh, failures that result from change. Um, has been something that was kind of missing from those from those four key metrics, because um, four key metric captures failures as a result of a deployment, but it doesn't necessarily capture other sorts of failures. And this would be the um, uh, and that becomes more of an issue as um, as you as you get more you know complex architectures, lots of lots of interacting um, uh, lots of interacting systems and services. Um, that said the the point you gave there like like it is in, it is technically entirely possible to um catch, to to do extremely well at the forky metrics and still not meet your users needs and they're still like all mm-hmm. of your users are miserable and they're frustrated at you i think there's, there's two things i'd say to that one is If you are doing very well at the four key metrics, that's typically, it's a strong indicator that you're probably investing in a bunch of other stuff. Like, if you have an extremely well-instrumented deployment pipeline that people take a huge amount of um, 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 care and uh, put a lot of investment into and you're... your 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 time to recover is really really uh, low because you've 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 got fantastic observability and monitoring in place. You probably are also investing in stuff like user analytics and user research. Probably so they so they are mm-hmm. correlated. Like like it is possible to have one without the other, um, but but generally not. That said, what you talked about there, like like, are you actually meeting your users' needs, is something that doesn't neatly fit onto a graph. And what the what I think the Dora Metrics are trying to do is capture quantifiable things that you can measure. And it's I I, I don't think you can quantify you know user joy and user happiness. Um, mm-hmm. I would I would I, I, I would actively reject attempts to do that, even though they're incredibly important. Um, I don't think they necessarily have a position in the same place and in the, in the 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 Dora metrics are addressing a different question right they're they're trying to understand engineering software delivery team effectiveness and not are you meeting your user needs both are important but one can be quantified the other I think can't
0: yeah yeah so the, I mean this is uh, uh, this is where quality gets very personal for me right is uh you know, uh, I feel like I encounter so many more defects in my daily life today than I did 10 years ago than I did 20 years ago. Uh, I mean, now I, I don't feel like I can get through a day without having to restart my, my computer, my TV, my car stereo. Uh, I mean, even sometimes my washing machine, I show up and it says like, I tried to balance the load and I couldn't balance the load. So you need to start over, uh, you know, we're we're encountering all of these, you know, sometimes they're usability issues, but sometimes they're system outages, sometimes they're actual defects. And I feel like so many of us in our daily lives encounter so many of these things. And so it has me questioning a little bit about uh, you know, what have we done from a software delivery perspective? where the emphasis has been so much on shipping software fast with less of an emphasis on shipping high-quality software fast uh, to the point that, yeah, we might look good on our metrics or how often we do deployments or maybe we're meeting our deadlines now, but we're delivering lower-quality things more reliably. And so... I, I don't have an answer uh I don't have yeah. a solution yeah. but <laughs> i think i think it, i
1: mean i I see it as as like partially my job and you know job of people like us to kind of help close that gap right because you're absolutely right yeah it's entirely possible to deliver garbage fast and and well, you just have a lot of garbage now um delivering, meeting your user's needs, whatever that looks like, understanding and meeting your user's needs, um, isn't something that can be neatly quantified into a, into a, you know, the fifth or the sixth key metric, but it, but it is incredibly important and reminding people of that and nudging people in that direction and supporting them in that, I think is, yeah, that's that's part of what I do. So
0: cool. Uh, yeah, so we're about out of time here. So I think I want to leave it with uh, one question. Uh, yeah. You've got a a developer who doesn't know test automation or you've got someone who knows test automation but hasn't really done the development side of things like working with APIs or, or websites. Uh, what advice would you give that person? Uh, should they specialize in what they're specializing in? Should they try to become the full stack developer? Uh, what, what do you think is the future for, for their career paths there?
1: I don't think I have a good answer for that. Right. Cause you, cause you're going to get survivorship bias. I could tell you to do exactly what I did, but you know, <laughs> I mean, of course I, 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 survived, didn't I? Um, I could also say do what you enjoy, um, which also, you know, has, it's, has its benefits, has its limitations. Um, do what, do what gets you experience and depth of experience, um. Even if you get really, really great at at you know API design, and then you end up moving to a different job uh, where you don't do any API design at all, um, that depth of experience, that ex- that that that, that um, yeah, really just experience and context is going to help you. I think um, you're going to have a, a, more experiences to pull on. I would say do whatever you can to get more and broader experiences. Um, Everything else can be learned, right? Um, as a consultant, I get, I get dropped into random technical projects um, all the time, and I have to learn new things, and that, for me, is fun. Um, what I have backing me up is that breadth of experience. So build a breadth of experience. A specific thing, you can pick that up as you need it.
0: All right. Uh, that's excellent advice. Uh, hope everyone takes it to heart. So once again, this is uh, Steve Upton we've been speaking with. Uh, He's Principal QA Consultant for ThoughtWorks. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show, Steve. Thanks for having me.